Hello and welcome to the Theology Meets Reality podcast, the podcast for people who seek to follow Christ in the midst of the messiness of life and parenting. We are Lisa and Greg Casimir, and we're not afraid to deviate from the norm of culture, even Christian culture, to make sure that we are applying what we believe about God to how we live. In season one, we're talking all about identity and what makes us who we are and how we're seen by ourselves and by others. In this episode, episode four, we're talking about gender identity and Jesus. We specifically discuss how gender is viewed in the church compared with how Jesus lives out God's understanding of gender in the Gospels. This is an episode that will enlighten and inspire you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. I'm Greg. (laughs) And I'm Lisa. Just in case you forgot since the last episode. (laughs) Hope that you are doing well. We are doing well in God. Yeah, we're glad that you're listening. Yes, thank you for listening. All right, our icebreaker, exciting, important question of the day is, if you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I asked a question before we start recording, uh, if, if it's if there's any variance allowed, because it's important. And I could do lo mein every day, as long as I could change up the vegetables that were going into it. Yeah. Every day. Breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Cold noodles. I, I mean, it would probably be leftovers because like, I don't have the patience to like do all that in the morning. But yeah. Um, How about you? Burritos. Oh, man. Yeah. Because yeah, it's I forgot the about perfect burritos. forever food. <laughs> 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 Especially if you can change up what's inside of it but yeah yeah, i mean come on yeah yeah sounds like i won (laughs) if there was if this was a contest (laughs) which i didn't know it was didn't know it was either but means a good choice yeah i mean you just can't go wrong in my opinion with a good noodle bowl (laughs) that is something that i've known to be true about you (laughs) since i met you like 20 years ago 21 years ago wow all right what a wild ride (laughs) okay today's topic is gender identity and jesus and i put the jesus with the gender identity because that's where our focus is going to be the idea of just talking about gender or what is like manhood and womanhood is way too big to cover in a podcast so we're seriously narrowing it down And we're really going to look at Jesus in the Gospels and what he did and said with regard to gender. And that was a really interesting experiment for me to do. Not an experiment, but just that I read through the Gospels. Exercise. There you go. Like looking for, okay, is this like something that stands out as far as like Jesus and his identity? And it's really interesting what I found. Um, But just to recognize the amount of baggage that can come with this topic. Like there's so much issues in the world, culture and church with regards to identity of gender. And I don't want to like dismiss that or push it aside or say we're not, it's not important just because we're not talking about it. Um, But I know there's instances, incidences of abuse and inequalities and all sorts of disagreements about, sexuality and all kinds of stuff that we just aren't going to have time to cover today. But 
I think <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, we won't. And yeah, we don't. We're and so probably not uh, particularly qualified to cover all the nuances that exist at this moment. If we had time, maybe we would. Yeah. <laughs> Come back for season whatever where we talk about this extensively for the rest of the time. Yeah. So we're going to talk about gender identity and Jesus. And we're going to try to figure out. So we're taking theology, what we know to be true about God and like the study of God and to apply it to our life and especially like the difficult spaces of our life. And then we're going to look about at how the church at large is generally applying it and see if we can like follow in the footsteps of the church or if we need to go deviate from that to continue following Jesus. That's kind of our theology meets reality. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay so greg i'm going to start off by asking you a question as a man like how much does gender seem to be part of your identity as a man as a person uh well I, do you mean specifically like the roles that are typically assigned to like what it is to be a man I mean, like, really broadly, like, not even in the church or in work or anything, but just, like, how often are you, like, walking around, like, thinking, like, like, does it matter that you're a man? Like, how much does that, like, how much is that part of your identity? Like, as far as if you started listing, like, who you are, like, I guess, do you know what I mean? Like, when oh, would like that, where would it be? Like, when would that come up or, like, in your head or in? I mean, like, I, I am, like, child of God. I'm Greg. I'm husband. I'm a dad. Like, that kind of order. And then I'm a man. Yeah, like I I, computer guy. You can answer kinda. however you want. I just was wondering, like, how often do you think about it, or does it come into play, or? Not a lot. That's what Honestly, I was thinking. I, was it thinking. doesn't. It doesn't really come up a lot. It's pretty far down on the list of things. If you know, if pressed like this, I guess it. You know, I'll, I'll put it in the list somewhere, but it it doesn't genuinely come up a whole lot. Yeah, and don't you think that's because? you're like of the majority culture like don't you think that's true across yeah probably i don't have to i don't have to think or worry about it because it's i don't have i don't have anything i don't have like any heavy set stereotypes that i'm having to work against or uh, prove myself about because I, I live in the majority culture and I live a relatively quiet life that I'm not active in a lot of social circles or anything. So it doesn't, it doesn't come up. I, I don't. Yeah. I think it would, women would rank that a lot more highly than men as far as like how it impacts their identity and like their life and how they see themselves. I would agree. Yeah. I know that I would say that more than you, but I think that's probably typical of women in general and maybe that goes across the board to like if you talk about majority race in a country versus like minority who's going to have um identify like more strongly on a regular basis with their race it's probably the minority culture because they just it's part of what they deal with kind of do you think yeah yeah i i would say that that's true that my my sociology sociology major education would say yes that's true um I, I think that my personality that we previously discussed probably weighs in a lot uh on my gender identity and how much i think about it or not that's true because there it does seem there we'll talk about this a little bit as we get into it but there are a lot of men who really think it's important to like 
identify and speak up on biblical manhood. Um, yeah, or, or or even just go out and do manly things. Oh, that's true. So you feel like you don't need to prove it. Right. I'm in not some way. Right. I'm not going out and I don't go out and hang out with the guys and do, you know, quote unquote manly things. So I don't I don't think about it. But you're saying other people do that because they want to like prove it. It's not just because they happen to like hunting or something. I mean, it's not necessarily an either or. Um, I think they, you know, it's very likely intricately interwoven um, that they do those things because they enjoy doing them. But also there is an aspect of manliness to it. Yeah. Or the culture's perceived idea of manliness. Right. Like I've, you know, we've gone to several different churches over the years um, and usually like a men's group involves bacon meat like of some kind eating at a barbecue restaurant of some kind to like get men to come to the bible study like it's like there's a there's a uh, a socialness to manliness that i don't do because of my personality <laughs> i we're probably way off in the, I, in the weeds at this I'm point like, but. i wasn't sure i'm not sure how to talk about the bacon idea like if it's a cart before the horse sort of thing but i do think that when we look in the gospels at jesus and the way he handled himself one of the things that i saw that we'll talk about is just like that jesus is always the same person no matter who he's speaking with or what he's talking about who is too he's like completely genuinely himself all the time because he's perfect of right. course we're not like that but so jesus doesn't like try to be extra manly at some point or like rein it in in another spot like he's always truly himself and so another reason other than the fact that he's god and perfect a great person to look to as far as like what is this supposed to look like right um so of course we could go back to the old testament to look at um with regards to like gender and how the Bible sets it up. And there's lots of things in the letters and the epistles as far as um, what men and women are supposed to do or should not do or how we should treat each other. But we really wanted to focus on the gospels to look at the life of Christ. So Jesus did different differentiate between men and women. He does distinguish between the sexes, but he doesn't do next what we naturally do, which is then we order them. And we put them in order of importance. So we group them and then we order them. And I think we just do this with everything because it's like our nature, I guess. Yeah. So Jesus does group men and women. He understands there's a difference. You know, God created men and women and he um, recognizes that. But then he doesn't put a value on each one and compare them to each other. We never see Jesus do or say anything of the sort. I think that's really an important distinction to point out. Um, G.K. Chesterton wrote this poem called Comparisons. It says, if I set the sun beside the moon, and if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the town beside the country, and if I set the man beside the woman, I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. And that's like exactly what we do. That is exactly what we do. And that's where our problem comes in. It's like step two. Like we were like, okay, here's a man, here's a woman, and we're good. And then step two, we're like, oh, well, let me see which one's better than the other. And that's where we start falling down. Yeah. It's not enough to just put them side by side. Let me tell you all of my biases. Yes. 
And so that's what we do as humans, but that's not what God intended. And Jesus didn't act that way. Jesus didn't do that or say that in recorded scripture. So typically when we think of gender in relation to theology, we start classifying things. Are you complementarian or egalitarian? What are the roles of men and women? Who can be in church leadership? And we're going to resist those labels in this conversation, even though they can be useful sometimes, because when we look at the life of Jesus and see what we learn from him, like he doesn't do that. He doesn't label and categorize. Right. He just loves and has compassion. Spoilers, Greg. Sorry. Okay. So what are men supposed to be like and what are women supposed to be like? Well, both men and women are called to be like Jesus. So we're all supposed to conform to his likeness. That's our destiny and goal as Christians is that we're supposed to be sanctified and be made like Christ. So when we look at the life of Christ, obviously men can look to Jesus as someone to exemplify. No. Someone to follow. Yeah. Imitate. Yeah. Imitate. There you go. And um, then, but women can too. Um in that we're supposed to be holy like he is holy and follow his characteristics. So one thing that's really interesting is that when the Holy Spirit promises us the fruits of the Spirit, and these are things that we are to um, gain in sanctification, the fruits of the Spirit, like these are signs of maturity in the faith. So we're all aiming through the power of the Holy Spirit to gain more of each of the fruits of the Spirit. Many of them are not associated with our current day cultural view of masculinity. So like love, like a pure selfless love, that's the fruit of the spirit. That right. kind of love is usually not associated with like masculinity in our culture. Like, Would you say, would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. And then I was thinking even joy, like isn't necessarily masculine. I don't know. Do you think it is like surely happiness is? Um, I would say joy is like, uh, in our cult, like in our current culture, it's like a childish emotion. Like I don't know that mm-hmm. joy is really something that, as you said, happiness perhaps, but not not joy. Um, peace is definitely not because I think we typically think of like more of like a like I don't want to say violent, but kind of like a little bit like militant. Yeah. Well, like, well, so like a, a protector, like a ready to, a ready to defend, ready to fight for, uh, type of family defender. Yeah. How about patience? Do you think that's like a masculine trait? No, I don't think so. When you think about like, well, a man, he like, you know, excels in the business world and is like always making progress. Right. It's a cutthroat dog eat dog world out there. And to succeed you have to just you yeah you can't sit back you have to fight for it and blah, blah, blah. yeah and then we could keep going of course like gentleness generally isn't so it's kind of amazing out of the fruits of the spirit how many are not typically associated with like masculinity but those are actually the traits that a man of god should be striving for so we should be raising our boys not to be um women but we should be raising our boys to be gentle and peaceful and loving and like it and good and patient and all those things and in some places like that's countercultural and even counter from kind of like the vibe of the church depending on of course like what church you're a part of yeah and i mean and self-control like that's yeah self-control 
like everyone's oh you know boys are just wild like you know like self-control is it's biblical and everyone needs to have it so yeah yeah you're right that's a good one to point out self-control We, I mean, we could go through all of them and they just, you know, yeah, and we hit most of them, but yeah, um, I think sometimes the cultural view of masculinity, like cultural outside of the church can actually infiltrate our understanding of how it's viewed in the church. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can kind of have like a, in some spheres I see more like, I guess like a John Wayne sort of masculinity, like a strong, powerful, authoritative but like on the side of good type man. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But he wouldn't have a lot of the fruits of the spirit, I would say. I think you've seen more John Wayne movies <laughs> than I have. So, I really have. Uh, I, I'm going to defer to your authority <laughs> on uh, on that one. Yeah, that that was um, my childhood. Not all my childhood, <laughs> just my dad like John Wayne and I watched it. More than I would have on my own. But hey, now I know some things about John Wayne. And he was a good guy. I mean, that was like a the, the positive. Like he was the hero. But he didn't always exemplify all the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. So when we think of man- manhood, we need to make sure it's focused more on a Jesus manhood than like a John Wayne type manhood or a cultural view. One thing that's really interesting, I was paging through the books that I have at home on that might have something about theology of biblical manhood or womanhood and then I went through some um some like articles and blogs on the internet and one thing that was really interesting was that I often see the example of Jesus as passed by like a lot of people um start with what's wrong with culture like in a couple books I have on biblical manhood and womanhood they talk about what's wrong with culture and then they kind of like go back and try to do the opposite and then back it up with scripture which is not really like the best biblical interpretation. No, that's plan. That's not the best. Right. Um, there's an article that's really recent I found from Kevin DeYoung, and it's just one of the articles that I pulled up. And when he talks about, it's called Five Patterns of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood on Crossway. And he uses Old Testament for each of the five examples. Um, and that's just an inch. That doesn't mean it's not relevant because you can use the Old Testament to learn things about manhood and woman. It's just kind of like interesting that I've seen this kind of frequently that people are not automatically going to Jesus. And then I found this other article and it was called what's the biblical definition of manhood by David Sanford on crosswalk. And he won't say himself that he doesn't think Jesus is an example of manhood, but he says his friend and author Todd miles would agree that Jesus cannot be touted as an example of manhood. That's what it says in this beginning of the article. Interesting. I think it's more than interesting. It's like completely wrong, but um, it was kind of like, it was kind of interesting because I was like, I can't argue with him because he said his friend said (laughs) that, but his friend, and then he cites his friend's book, Superheroes Can't Save You. And I like paged through as much of the book online as I could, and I couldn't find anything there that I could like, you know, point at. So he's kind of. Pointing yeah. me to something that may or may not exist, but well, it's like. But he is also saying that his friend would agree with the statement that. So he's he's yeah. saying that statement, and his friend would agree with it. He's just kind of like diffusing. But his friend didn't get the chance to say if he actually agreed or disagreed. Yeah, you have to take that up with him by buying the book. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, it's just interesting. Cause I'm like, how could you not 
look to Jesus as an example of biblical manhood when it's literally God made man. Yeah, the son of man. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so that's what we're looking at today. Maybe everybody won't agree, or maybe this is like a hot take. <laughs> like looking at Jesus as like what a man should be and what people should be like. But hot takes the podcast. That's what we're doing today. Welcome to episode number four. So we kind of talked through some of the fruits of the spirit, but all the fruits of the spirit are things that men and women should have. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. It's good faithfulness. Faithfulness. Ah. <laughs> I'm working on it. And then, so I was going through to see what Jesus is talking about. And I have to stop at the Beatitudes because that's what Jesus is teaching people as far as like what heart and posture that they need to have to receive God's blessing. Like that's what the Beatitudes are about. So we're going to read the Beatitudes from Matthew um, and just think through. This is what Jesus is giving instruction for people, like all people, as far as who they're supposed to be. Okay. And this is from the New Living Translation. One day as the crowds were gathering, Jesus went up the mountainside with his disciples and sat down to teach them. This is what he taught them. God blesses those who realize they need their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is given them god blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted god blesses those who are gentle and lowly for the whole earth will belong to them god blesses those who are hungry and thirsty for justice for they will receive it in full god blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy god blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see god see god god blesses those who work for peace For they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when you were mocked and persecuted and lied about because you were my followers. Thanks. Yeah, so these are all traits that men and women should have from the mouth of Jesus. And um, I think some of those we do encourage in manhood like um like seeking out justice for example um but things like being merciful probably we should um tout a little higher when we're talking about manhood and womanhood and when we're raising our kids for example yeah and being gentle and lowly there you go humility (laughs) yeah yeah so as i was going through the gospels again trying to look for how jesus exemplified or acted out gender identity like there wasn't one specific episode that jumped out at me and because that was because that jesus acted the same in his interactions he didn't change based on who was around he generally just treated people with grace and compassion and cared for their eternal well-being and invited them to be with him so i did want to stop and look specifically at the passage of john chapter 11 which is basically going through the ways that jesus treated his friends mary martha and lazarus so they were around through much of his life and they were his good friends and they were um you know they were sisters and brother but men and women are represented here and it's so it's like how did jesus treat his friends men and women um over the course of his life and if we just look at the passage from john 11 4 he showed them love um it says now jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus he gave them comfort when they were grieving and he was present with them he invited them to eternal life he was moved by their sadness and he wept with them. 
there are a lot more examples, of course, of how Jesus lived and interacted with people and how he cared for people who were um, outside of the cultural norms, people who were, you know, people who had disabilities, who were poor, who were looked down upon, yeah. Jews Unclean, and Gentiles yeah. alike. And of course, he was also the same and with rich people and powerful people. Um, and I think it's helpful to for each of us to think about treating each other the same way, the same way G- Jesus treated Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that we would have love and ears to listen, concern, comfort, empathy, presence, invitation to eternal life, things like that. I think it would benefit us like as you're reading through scripture and looking at Jesus life to think about how Jesus treated people and how he didn't separate them into classes or dole out roles, but instead loved them and served them and taught them. Yeah, and we're all technically in the same class of people. We are all sinners in need of salvation. We're all created in the image of God. Right, and I'm not, like, we're not making a statement about, you know, that men and women aren't different because they are, and I'm not making a statement that every role should be appropriate for men and women. But it's just interesting, the emphasis and Jesus' life wasn't on making sure everybody was in their proper places, but instead on things like compassion and love and presence and inviting them to eternal life and stuff like that. Right. Um, we're going to talk about biblical manhood and womanhood. And this idea, like, I guess this is how we're going to kind of look at one of the ways that the church expresses biblical manhood and womanhood. Um, some of the ways that we've seen manhood defined, defined in and out of the church include like bravado, sexual prowess, money, power, physical competition, like whether it's sports or like violence or military service or something like that, um, like physical competition. Um, there's a really well-known book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. And um, it was originally published in 1991, and it's still in print today. There's just, like, many reprints over time. The subtitle is A Response to Evangelical Feminism. Um, One of the things that I think is interesting is that the book is a response to evangelical feminism. But I wonder if maybe the feminism in the church and in progressive Christianity is as much of a pushback toward the idea of biblical manhood is not because of what the Bible says and not because of the way Jesus lived, but because of the way that men in the church have conducted themselves. That seems plausible. It's possible. I'm not going to make a full case with all this evidence to back it up, but I wonder if that's that the evangelical feminism is not a response to the way that biblical manhood has been lived out. Obviously, like we've seen Things from rampant sexual abuse in the church to just, like, men who are not so kind to women. Um, And there's been a big focus on what women can't do um, instead of a big focus on being better men. And, of course, I'm not speaking about all Christian men because there are many people out there who are imitating Christ and can be held up as examples, but... Honestly, those people make too small of a percentage of the men with the power or the microphone. For whatever reason, the men (laughs) who are not so nice end up having a lot of power too frequently. And so we hear from those voices instead of 
the ones who are more likely to be following Christ. Yeah, or you know, living, living out Christ-like lives. Right. Um. I, yeah, I think it's too big of a problem to ignore the fact that you know there are men in huge positions of power who have used their power to abuse women, whether it's like actually physical sexual abuse, which happens way too often, or just ridiculing women or keeping them in their place or things like that um, instead of maybe focusing on other things that might be more fruitful. <laughs> Another thing I've come across in my experience as a woman in the church in some places is that some men confuse the fact that the Bible talks about women submitting to their husband and they think that women need to submit to all men. And there's a really big difference between submitting to your husband and submitting to all men. Agreed. Um, I do think we're going to talk about that in another season. I feel like we are. I should have looked it up. But anyway, I think I'm sure we're going to talk about some sort of thing relating to marriage or something like that. Yeah. I can't delve into it today, but that's something that I've come across that has not been so helpful and is really honestly a misinterpretation of scripture. <laughs> For another podcast. <laughs> Important to point out. Okay. Here is one of my favorite quotes about how, okay, it's my favorite quote about how Jesus treated women, but it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's from Dorothy Sayers. Um, in her, um, book are women human astute and witty essays on the role of women in society okay so she's talking about how jesus treated women this is the quote perhaps it's no wonder that the women were first at the cradle and last at the cross they had never known a man like this man there never has been such another a prophet and teacher who never nagged at them never flattered or coaxed or patronized who never made arch jokes about them never treated them as either the women god help us or the ladies, God bless them, who rebuked without querulousness and praised without condescension, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no axe to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend, who took them as he found them and was completely unselfconscious. There is no act no sermon, no parable in the whole gospel that borrows its pungency from female perversity. Nobody could possibly guess from words and deeds of Jesus that there was anything funny about women's nature. The first time I heard that quote, I was just like, oh my goodness, that's right. Like Jesus was so good to women. The things that we as women are like used to happening on the regular, he didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't tell them to be more feminine or less feminine or like make some sort of like silly joke about them or, um, you know, rebuke them or, you know, push aside their argument or their question or anything like that. He doesn't do that. You can't find that in scripture. Well, even the one place that uh, probably comes the closest when Martha is um, busy, like trying to serve Jesus and the disciples and Mary's at Jesus's feet, Martha calls on Jesus to rebuke her for not helping. And Jesus says, uh, Martha, you know, you are worried about many things, but Mary has chosen rightly and it will not be taken from her. So like that was, that's one clear example of where he doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't do uh, what 
our culture today does of putting women in certain boxes and then like rebuking them for not doing it. I don't think you understand like how how often we like deal with this stuff. Like just to I the, don't the, think I can the understand. fact that we're like, oh yeah, Jesus didn't do that was so astounding to me. We can be secure in who we are as women because God loves us and because of Jesus who demonstrated this in the flesh. It just made me fall way more in love with Jesus to like remember this because just like any trait of humanity um, Jesus does it perfectly and then we see it reflected imperfectly in even the best people and it's just so lovely how Jesus cares for all people including women um, in his life I think one thing I want to point out to women is we need to be careful not to pendulum swing in response to some men in the church who don't treat women appropriately and then we as women could forget how we're supposed to behave as Jesus did as well with grace and humility and love. I know so- sometimes I've been angry in the past and that's not a cause to kind of like jump on the other side and get all upset and try to um, to not behave the way that Jesus would have us behave. That would be the self-control part. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of parts. The <laughs> grace and the humility and the mercy and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I do want to give like uh, just a little quick message to women. If you are in the position that I was years ago, there was a time in my life when I thought I might not be as loved by God as man men are because I was a woman. Um, yeah, there's just something that came up in my life um, when I was in seminary and I kind of had like a crisis of faith, kind of like I'm loved by God, but not as much as I could be if I was a man. And that because there was nothing I could do to change that, it made me sad because it like hurt my relationship with God. That was my perception of it. And that thinking came from the way that I was treated by some Christian men who unknowingly were treating me as less valuable to God, but they were wrong. Like that thought that I had was wrong. There are so many verses in the Bible declaring God's great and unconditional love for us. And for those, those are for men and women equally. Like God created you exactly as he wanted you to be. And your value doesn't come from what you do or who you are, but by whose you are. And you belong to God. So if you're feeling less than today because you're a woman or because you've been treated poorly by others, that's not true because God loves you just more than you could possibly imagine. And with a perfect love that we really can't even fathom because we don't see it here on earth. So I just hope that that's encouraging to anybody who's feeling down on that today. And the last thing I wanted to talk about was identity in the church. What we talked about in the first episode about who we are in Christ, all of this applies here for men and women alike. Everything we talked about, about that we're holy and that we're loved and that there's a place for us in heaven, etc. We're part, we're adopted and part of a family. Like All of that is true as part of who we are. And then we also talked in the second episode, I think, about unity in the church and how God's heart is for the church to be united and to love one another. And that's really important here, too. We're supposed to have unity in the church, not uniformity, but we're called to love one another. And that was on Jesus' heart right before he was dying, right? He was praying for unity in the church. That Yeah, that we would be one as mm-hmm. he and the Father are one. And it's a very important distinction of unity coming together and being one family of God versus uniformity, which 
basically boils down to one of the church denominations has to be right about this, but they're not. It's, we are, we are all members of the body of Christ, but we're not all the same part of the body. Right. When we talked last time about, um, personality and how we all represent, like we're all image bearers of God, even though we have different personalities, it's the same, of course, with men and women that we're all image bearers of God and together we better represent the fullness of God when we're together than when we're apart. And I just think reflecting on Jesus life, probably we could all spend more time acting in the way Jesus did instead of kind of arguing over some of the smaller issues of manhood and womanhood that really don't often apply to us when a lot of these things apply all the time. Does that make sense? Um, and then finally, like we have an opportunity to point others to Jesus. So if you know people who are frustrated about how they're being treated or have been treated by others, we can point them to somebody who will treat them as they should. And that there's hope in that, that like you were made for more. You're right. You do deserve more and you shouldn't be treated this way um, because Jesus loves you and he won't treat you that way. Yeah. I, he, he has compassion that he he knows you and he loves you and honestly if someone is treating you poorly like and they are uh you know a person who is a member of a church either you know uh, the pastoral staff or otherwise like and they are treating you badly like that is not of god yes so we can use that as an opportunity to kind of show other people Jesus, even people outside of the church. Yeah, to shine, shine his light. So hopefully that was encouraging to you. It was to me. It's just I fall in love more with Jesus the more that I know him because he's perfect. And it's um, it was neat to look at the gender identity through Jesus and through the Gospels. Would you like to give our benediction? I'd love to. May our Lord and our God, the Creator of all things, be glorified in the work and the worship of his church. May we be unified through the Holy Spirit and the love that he gives us for one another. Amen. Thanks for listening. We appreciate all of our listeners and are praying for you. If you'll take two minutes to rate and review our brand new baby podcast, we would be so grateful. For more information on today's episode, head to theologymeetsreality.com. Until next time, follow Christ, not culture.